It's time for the Back to the Book broadcast with Brother Jimmy Ruckman. You can send all correspondence to Brother Jimmy Ruckman, 1621 Six Mile Cemetery Road, Maryville, Tennessee, 37803, or email backtothebookbroadcast at gmail.com. The Back to the Book broadcast is a ministry of the Ridgeview Baptist Church in Walland, Tennessee. You can visit the church website at rbcwalland.org. And now the broadcast. Please take your Bibles, if you would, turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 2, and we'll just go ahead and read our text again. The Bible says, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest ye be angry, and ye perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are they that put their trust in him. Now the subject this week that we are dealing with is Sinner, why fight against God? Sinner, why fight against God? It is a very serious subject. It's a very, really a heavy message this week that God's given to preach. And I beg for those of you listening by way of radio or those listening by way of the podcast or even through Facebook, if you're a sinner, if you've not accepted Christ, I beg you to listen to me especially close this week. Because the scripture is very clear of some things. And I do, I I want to be clear from having the blood of your soul on my hands. We Looked at yesterday, just quickly gave an overview of the psalm. We looked at the primary interpretation. I believe it comes from where David was anointed to be king, but yet was not the king. Then he became king in Hebron over Judah for seven years and six months before he ever became king over Israel. We looked at that. We showed how that is, I believe, the primary interpretation of what David was writing from that experience. We looked at the prophetical interpretation of it, where half of it is fulfilled, half of it remains to be fulfilled. And we went to Acts and chapter 4, yes, Acts chapter 4 and verse 23 through verse 28, and we saw how that, um, that Peter quotes it directly from chapter 2, and shows how that in that day when they crucified Christ, that was a partial fulfillment of the prophecy of this chapter. 
And then as I explained, the other half has yet to be fulfilled, and that will be when Christ returns and sets up the millennial kingdom, when he physically reigns over the earth as he has said he will do. That is the, the half that remains yet to be told, but yet we are seeing it being fulfilled before our eyes. But then we begin to look at the practical application. About every scripture in God's word has that, a primary interpretation, a prophetical interpretation, and a practical application that we can apply to our lives. So what is the practical application? Because for us to be able to dissect everything and see when he wrote it and why he wrote it, but for us not to be able to know how to apply it to our lives, then it almost becomes purposeless to us. But God's Word, we know it has a, a very much a purpose for us. It, the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So what is that practical application? Yesterday we began to look at the anger of the sinner. And we looked at why is it that the sinner is angry against God? It talks about why do the heathen rage? That word rage means to be violent, to be and it has the idea of pride and, and resistance towards God behind it, but that so angry that they are violent, so angry that they are rioting against God. And we said it's because of the rebellion of their father, the devil. And we, we looked at John chapter 8, verse 44, where Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, some of the very ones that delivered him up to be killed, some of the very ones that were the a direct fulfillment of the prophecy of this chapter. And he tell, told them, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. They are mad at God, first of all, because of the rebellion of their father. And we looked at that yesterday, but then we had to end on this note. They are mad at God because of God's restraints on their lust. You see, the sinner loves his sin. If we were to turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 32, and we could read a lot more in Romans chapter 1, but it talks about these sinners who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. You see, the sinner... Not only does he many times understand and grasp that, that he'll, he'll be judged by God one day. A lot of my coworkers would tell me that. They will say, you know, you know God's going to judge me for that one. I have heard that before from different, different people that I know. But here's the problem. The sinner in his sin, loves his sin. He has pleasure in his sin. Now the Bible tells us that that pleasure doesn't last very long. But it is because of that pleasure, while they in their flesh want to sin, yet they know that there is judgment for their sin. So the sinner hates the one that's judging them for the sin because they want to be able to keep that sin. They want the pleasure that they think that sin gives them. And they want no restraints on their lives. We see that played out so clearly today with the, the sodomy that is promoted, with 
all kinds of different forms. You fill in the blank. People promote their sin. They want their sin. And because of that, they hate the Almighty God because they want no restraints. Our society right now is trying to remove the restraints of morality from our culture. We see things like abortion in our society. Very much so against God's moral law code. And they know it. That's why they hate Christians that preach against it. That's why they hate God's word. That's why they hate God. Because they don't want to have to obey that. People don't like what God has to say about marriage. If you're shacking up, you're in sin. The Bible's clear about that. The the Bible said marriage is between one man and one woman. And people hate the Word of God and what it has to say about marriage when they're living in sin. The Bible condemns adultery. The adulterer hates that God condemns that. See, what I'm trying to get is that the sinner hates God. The sinner is angry at God because of God's spelled out judgment in the Word of God. They want nothing to do with that. Now, some sinners, they'll pick and choose what they want from the Word of God. They say, oh, I like that part. Oh, I'll claim that part. But, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not going to agree with this. I can't go with that. The sinner hates God because of his sin. Because God puts restraints on his lust, and that sinner does not want that. That sinner hates God not only because of the rebellion of his father, not only because of the restraints put on his lust, but also because of his resistance to authority. You see, it is natural that the sinner wants to be the one in control. There is a philosophy out there called humanism. Communism somewhat puts it the same way. Evolution puts it the same way, where man becomes the god. Man is the one that... that uh, becomes the supreme being. You have survival of the fittest. The strongest man wins. But you see, if if the person can get that one if the person adopts one of those mentalities, he becomes his own God. He becomes responsible only to himself. He does not have to answer to another another being. Another person does not have to answer to God. He can do whatever his lust push him to do. And the only people that condemn him would be the ideas of somebody else. But if God's word isn't true, and if God doesn't exist, then no other person would have a right to force their opinion on me. God's given the law code. God's the one that puts up the restraints, and people hate that. They resist the authority of God. People want to be in control of their own life. We could go to Luke chapter 19 and verse 14. It gives us a parable there of the man that goes to to inherit a kingdom and when he comes back the the people there say say we will not have this man to reign over us they didn't want the authority of this man and the sinner in his sin does not want the authority of God in his life he does not want to have to answer to an almighty god so we see the anger of the sinner But we see more than that here. 
we see the assumption of the sinner. Verse 1 says, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. You see, the assumption of the sinner is this. He truly thinks that he can break off the bands, the yokes of God in his life. He truly thinks that he can get away from all moral restraint. He truly thinks that he can free himself from responsibility to God as long as he doesn't believe that there is a God. And as I've already said, ev evolutionism, communism, and all those kind of uh, philosophies are there. They're designed to create a, a uh, how would I say it, a, a shortcut past God so that man does not have to be responsible to God. They create this shortcut so that they can shortcut their conscience, so that they can bypass the conscience, because if there is no God, I don't have to deal with my conscience. I am only responsible to myself, not to a thrice holy God. You see, the truth of the matter is, they know that God exists, they know that God's in ju judgment does exist, but they do not want to face the judgment of God. So the sinner assumes that, you know, if I do enough, or if I just say God doesn't actually exist, and I adopt this philosophy that's totally contrary to the Bible and what the Word of, what the word of God says, then I'll be alright. I can soothe my conscience... They basically lie the, themselves into believing that there is no God so that they can relieve themselves from the responsibility towards God and man. They've made an assumption that as we're going to get into this chapter, we're going to find it's not true. Because no matter what a person may try to redefine a fact as, God's already set up the truth. And the Bible says, Let God be true and every man a liar. What we find out is that this assumption that they have made is just a vain assumption. It's empty. It has no power behind it. And we'll have to pick up here tomorrow. You've been listening to the Back to the Book broadcast with Brother Jimmy Ruckman. You can send all correspondence to Brother Jimmy Ruckman, 1621 Six Mile Cemetery Road, Maryville, Tennessee, 37803, or email Back to the Book Broadcast at gmail.com. The Back to the Book broadcast is a ministry of the Ridgeview Baptist Church in Wallen, Tennessee. You can visit the church website at rbcwalland.org.